0: Change in Management Written by R.J. Johnson Read by R.J. Johnson Hey, that's me. The curly-haired brunette pushed her way through the massive crowd of people standing at the doorway of the arena as the sounds of a thousand different men and women blended together into a dull roar that was audible from over two blocks away. Inside, the place stank of stale beer, body odor, and a combination of other, even less pleasant smells. But that didn't stop the miners, commonly known around New Plymouth as moles, from packing into the arena every night to watch the brutal Zero-G fights. Zero-G fighting became one of the most popular sports on Mars after a local warlord figured out a way to modify the gravity generators installed around the colony for the brutal, even beautiful matches between anyone who was willing to step up for payday. Higgs generators, as they were known, worked through modifying the local Higgs field, the field responsible for giving every particle in the universe its mass and therefore the property of gravity. Five concentric circles were laid out within the fight ring, with each circle containing a patch of either high or low gravity, depending on the round. Gravity within the boxing ring varied from zero-g all the way up to five times what someone might feel back on Earth. Fighters would use the zero-gravity areas during the fights to make spectacular leaps and moves they wouldn't normally be able to do in order to take down their opponents. Fighters would often use those rings as traps to pin down their opponents. Once a fighter found himself within a 5G area, it was nigh on impossible for them to escape. The zero-G leagues were not for the faint of heart. The fights were brutal, hard, and messy, with few rules and no set style of fighting. Everyone was welcome, and the pools of blood, teeth, sweat, and tears on the canvas floor of the ring were testament to the fact that there were no shortage of men or women on Mars seeking to prove how tough they were. Those who weren't in peak physical condition or possess excellent fighting skills often did not survive to see the next match. Emmeline Hunan pushed her way through the crowd and looked down into the packed arena below. There, two fighters were warily circling each other during the final round of their fight, The five concentric circles within the ring were alternating between projections of 0G and 5G gravity. The pair below had been at it for the last 15 minutes, and their faces demonstrated the results of the brutal punishment they'd been dishing out to each other. She watched as the fighter in blue trunks retreated from his opponent, weaving his way across the gravity circles, adopting a defensive posture. From her vantage point, she knew it was already over for the man in the red shorts, even if he didn't. The man in blue was forcing his opponent across the pattern of flashing five high-gravity circles. Suddenly, the man in blue stepped back into an adjacent circle just as it flashed from 5G to zero. He jumped, impossibly high, nearly all the way to the top of the arena. Placing his feet on the top of the cage, 20 feet above his opponent, he pushed, dive-bombing the man in red. Caught unaware, the red fighter was shoved onto a 5G ring. His body, instantly bent in half, breaking the man's back. The sound of snapping bones filled the arena as the crowd roared its approval for the blue fighter's daring maneuvers. And with that, the fight was over. Emmeline knew the man in red couldn't possibly recover from the grievous bodily injury he had just suffered, and the refs agreed. A horn sounded, and the crowd roared once again, some in protest, others in jubilation. The bookies hanging around the rail began paying off the various wagers made on the match. Who'd you have, Sweetheart. The voice had a rough, thick accent, direct from the homeworld. Emmeline turned to look for the source and saw a squat, hairy man who had suddenly appeared next to her with his posse. They were slurping at their cups of beer and admiring her lottie. Emmeline ignored them and checked her armbar. A message had appeared from him. Where are you? It read. Emmeline closed her armbar and began moving towards the back of the arena, but before she was able to make her way down the aisle, she was stopped. The mole was still trying to chat her up, despite her obvious lack of interest. He caught her arm before she could get away. "'That's rude, don't you think?' the man said, sniffing. His friend scratched the acne on his face and giggled. "'Just trying to get to know a lady.' Emmeline turned and shook her head. "'In what world do you imagine I'd ever want to talk to you?' "'I got credits!' the badly pockmarked man bragged. He opened up his armbar display and showed her the credit balance he held. "'And it did show a fairly impressive amount for a miner on Mars.' But he wasn't heading for retirement on New Luna anytime soon. I took the man in blue for the win at five and a half to one, and the bloke paid off nicely. He elbowed Emmeline and let his hand lightly pass over her ass. I'm willing to pay even nicer for you. Emmeline flashed her prettiest smile at the disgusting man, propositioning her, How much you thinking? The mole's greedy eyes opened wide, and he looked her up and down, taking in every inch of her body. From her long, curly brown hair to her hazel, almond-shaped eyes and toned, light brown skin, Emily knew she was a beautiful woman, and she was a bit curious to see how much she'd go for on the open market. Uh, 200 the mole said, licking his lips. Emmeline was insulted. If she were going to prostitute herself, she figured she'd be worth as much as a high-class prostitute. His face fell at her reaction. 300 uh, he said. She ran her fingernail down his scarred cheek. "'I think I might be a bit too expensive for you.' "'For?' the mole asked hesitantly. Emmeline smiled. Suddenly, she grabbed the mole's crotch and squeezed the man's grape for all they were worth, which in her mind wasn't a whole lot. She pushed and yanked, flipping the man end over end, using his crotch as leverage, spilling him onto the sticky arena floor. His friends exploded in laughter as the miner howled in pain. "'You bitch!' he cried out, "Yeah!" Careful there, she said, turning to walk away. I don't think your baby bells can afford another insult. The mole's friends were still laughing as they reached down to help their fallen comrade to his feet. He pushed them away. Emmeline made her way through the crowd and approached a private door at the back of the arena. A coalition MP looked down at her through his visor and she showed him her armbar. He scanned it, saw she was on the access list and stepped aside to let her through. The locker room was much quieter than the cacophony of noise in the arena. She moved through a darkened hallway where most of the lights were flickering or burnt out. She paused at the doorway to one of the dressing rooms and found the man she was looking for. Jim Meade was leaning on the side of the medical bay bed wrapping his right hand with sports tape. He flexed his fingers and made sure the hand was wrapped tightly enough to keep his joints from moving around too much. His boxing shorts were yellow with a black stripe down either side to Emmeline, it was strange to see him without his black cowboy hat and dark red brown duster but she didn't mind the view of his six-pack abs and tight lean muscles satisfied with a wrap job on his right hand he grabbed the roll of tape sitting on the table and began to wrap his left hand when he looked up and saw Emmeline in the doorway did you get it he asked Emmeline without preamble i got it she said entering the room i still think it's the most damn foolish thing you've ever done <laughs> like i'm any short on those Meade said his eyes crinkling in a smile "'She snorted. "'Still number one as far as I'm concerned. "'While breaking into a warlord's private stash is stupid. "'Hey, you enjoy drinking O'Donnell's whiskey just as much as I did,' "'he reminded her with a wry grin. "'She ignored him and jumped up to sit on the counter across from him. "'You don't think all this is a bad idea?' Am a win here on borrowed credit. "'I'll finally have the kind of money I need to retire on New Luna. "'With enough left over to even buy out your debt to the Coalition,' "'he said, smiling.' But none of that's going to happen if you didn't get that money. I got the money, Emmeline repeated crossly as she opened her armbar. But what if you don't win? He chuckled. Well, thanks for the vote of confidence. Meade looked back at his left hand to continue taping it. Emmeline jumped down and got into his face, snapping her fingers to get his attention back. Hey, seriously, Emmeline said with a concerned tone. What if you don't win? He shrugged. Eh, it's not a problem I'm particularly concerned about at the moment. You might need to start worrying about that in the next twenty minutes. It'd be smart if you had yourself a few alternative ideas for retirement, say like, uh, a real job, maybe. He ignored the dig, deciding that his left hand needed to be redone. He began unwrapping the tape when Emmeline took his hand. Here, let me get that, she said, and she expertly began to rewrap his hand. What are the odds on me? he asked. I-I didn't check. Um I didn't check. He sighed and looked at her. Emmeline was trying to protect his feelings, and that meant the odds had to be a lot worse than he imagined. The people who calculated them had a mountain of computer power and statistics behind them to make their predictions very reliable. He finally caught her eye, and she sighed. (sighs) You're sitting nearly 50 to 1, he whistled. That would mean a lot more money than he originally thought if he won the match. He was surprised, and a bit insulted, that the odds were as long as they were, He might not be one of the biggest names in the 0G leagues, but he'd definitely been able to hold his own while making his way up the ranks to get this match. His strategy was a good one, and a great many more experienced fighters had been unable to adapt to his style in time before finding themselves on their backs with the ref finishing the count. Even so, he knew tonight's match was different. He was fighting someone who had made a real name for themselves in the fights. Kevin Chow was ranked as one of the best in the league, and Meade was only supposed to be filler a piece of meat for the soon-to-be champ to get some exercise with before the championship bout later in the week. As one of the premier fighters in the Zero-G League, Chow had built a brutal reputation for himself over the last year and a half. Meade always knew that his fight wouldn't be easy, but 50-to-1 was an impressive set of odds to beat. Oh, that's not so bad, he said. I'm pretty sure 50-to-1 is only if you survive the match, Emmeline said, her signature gallows humor on display. Em, trying to cheer me up won't make me reconsider, I'm telling you. I studied his vids, I know what I'm looking for. He hopped down from the medical bay bed and shadowboxed a few moments. No one in the arena will see it coming, I promise. Pretty confident for a dead man walking. The voice came from the doorway. Meade and Emmeline spun around to see a tall man wearing a fashionable pinstripe suit, his hair slicked back. A pencil-thin beard followed the outline of his jaw that was neatly trimmed to a point under his chin. Palmetto, Meade said sarcastically. I didn't know you were a fight fan. More than just a fan, Mr. Meade, Michael Palmetto said lazily as he entered his dressing room. I have quite a nice stake in your opponent. Meade chuckled. <laughs> well, everybody makes bad investments on occasion. Palmetto locked his eyes on Emmeline, staring at her. I'd like it if we could speak alone. Emmeline glanced at him and Meade waved her off. She was just leaving a place of bet. She looked at him and he nodded, silently telling her that it would be fine. She frowned in frustration, a small wrinkle appearing between her eyes, and left the room. It was clear from the cloud of discontent she left behind that she didn't like leaving him alone with a dangerous warlord of e Palmetto turned and closed the door. He grabbed a metal folding chair and dragged it across the cold tile, the sound grating on Mead's nerves. Palmetto, if you got something you want to say, get to it. They're expecting me out there. "'They will (coughs) wait. Palmetto unfolded the chair and sat down in front of Mead, crossing his legs and picking a piece of lint off his trousers. "'I have a proposition for you. "'I'm not interested.' "'You don't even know what I have to say,' Palmetto replied, sounding amused. "'Maybe,' Mead said, inspecting the wrap job Emmeline had done in his left hand. "'She did good work. "'But I already know how this goes. "'You offer me money to do something I'm not interested in doing, and I say no.' ''You up your offer and I refuse again. You threaten me, I laugh, you offer me more money than I've ever seen in my life, and I still say no.'' He stood and approached the warlord, placing his face inches away from the man who terrified so many on his block. ''So let me just save us some time. I will never work for you or your blood money.'' ''Mr. Mead, be reasonable,'' Palmetto said, chuckling at Mead's outburst. ''You're a runabout.'' You can't possibly make any money in the Coalition mines without a secure card installed on your armbar, and it's not as if you have any opportunities with the Consortium forthcoming. The very best you can hope for is some lucky million-to-one hit at the casino, or be forever used as fodder for fighters who long ago passed you in skill and opportunity. You have no hope of making a living on this planet if you don't play ball with someone, whether it be with the Coalition, the Consortium, or me. He plucked another imaginary piece of fluff off his suit. "'Besides, after tonight, you'll need one of us,' Palmetto said, staring at Meade with his piercing blue eyes. "'Because, believe me, you'll wish you'll have had someone watching your back.' Meade shook his head and moved to the doorway. "'Go to hell, Palmetto. I'm not your errand boy.' Palmetto rose and put his hand on Meade's bare chest, stopping him from leaving the dressing room. "'You will come and work for me eventually, Mead. One way or the other, I will have you on a leash.' "'Not today.' Meade pushed past the warlord in charge of his local block and moved down the hallway toward the arena. The roar of the crowd grew louder as he walked down the hallway until he was stopped by a man wearing a headset. you ready? The man asked, shouting over the din. About as much as any bun can be, I suppose, Meade replied, trying to match the man's volume. The nervous energy he had so far managed to contain was now bubbling just beneath the surface and felt somewhere between excitement and drop-dead fear. Too late to back out now, he thought. The sound of heavy rock music filled the arena, and the announcer's voice echoed out to the fans, informing of the top bout of the night. While Meade's chances didn't look good to the odds makers, he had racked up a fairly impressive streak of recent wins in the undercards. His strategy was simple. Watch as much vid as he could find of his opponents, and make one less mistake than they did. Tonight's bout was to settle who would face the current ZFC champ, Titus Green. Meade had earned his spot at this level, but nobody expected him to beat Kevin Chow and move on to the championship bout. So, while preparing for this match, Meade had studied hours upon hours of Chow's fighting techniques, and after careful research, believed he had found a weakness he could exploit. Of course, that all depended on whether or not he survived the first few rounds, which wasn't always guaranteed in a fight with Chow. The crowd roared at the announcement of Meade's name, with some in approval, but mostly what Meade heard was booing. He stepped through the doors and walked through the gauntlet that led to the ring. The crowd, expressing their displeasure with a no-name on the fight card, showered him with beer cups, both empty and not. Some of the cups were filled with liquids other than beer, though Meade did his best to avoid thinking what those liquids might be. The walk to the ring didn't take long, there an official opened the door to the cage in which the ZFC fighters fought and let Meade in. He raised his fist in a victory V, hoping to elicit something more of a positive reaction from the crowd. Tonight's bout is scheduled for five rounds with the winner facing the Martian heavyweight champion Titus Green for the ZFC Championship. The announcer said, the crowd roaring in approval. Bookmakers on the sidelines began taking last-minute bets. Meade spotted Emmeline pushing her way through the crowd and speaking with one of the bookies near the ring. The man nodded as Emmeline transferred the credits Meade had borrowed from the loan shark and sent him a thumbs up. He nodded and began to nervously bounce on the balls of his feet to expend the nervous energy he was feeling. In the yellow drunks standing at six feet two inches, one hundred and ninety-five pounds, the Martian menace James Mead! The jeering rose in volume again, which made him smile. Sounds like Chow's got his fan section in attendance, he thought. The announcer leaned in toward Mead, holding the mic away from his mouth. They're out for blood tonight. I hope you're ready to put on a show. Meade didn't respond. He had enough on his mind without worrying about putting on a good enough show so that the moles didn't riot by the end of the fight. Though, there was nothing worse than Martian miners who were bored and drunk. The mood changed in the arena as the lights above Meade's head began to flicker. Three spotlights tracked over to Chao's entrance ramp as fog began to roll out of the doorway. A low drumming began to echo through the arena as the crowd chanted Chow's name. The music became more intense as the chanting became louder and louder. The announcer stepped away from Mead and jutted out his chin. In the blue corner, standing at 6 feet 6 inches high, weighing in at 235 pounds from putt's Unknown, Kevin Chow! The doorway exploded as pyrotechnics helped bring Kevin Chow out into the arena to the crowd's acclaim. He stood there, a grim expression on his face as the lights highlighted the massive man's impressive physique. Swirling tattoos covered his exposed skin, each one incredibly intricate in its design. He slowly made his way down the ramp to the ring and the cape he wore billowed behind him. Meade never got scared exactly, he always chalked up whatever he was feeling to an upset stomach. In fact, it was one of the things that made up his moral code. Rule number 14, don't get scared, fear makes mistakes. However, the second Chow stepped into the ring, Mead had to admit there was the tiniest stab of fear twinging at his guts. He swallowed it down and continued to stare at Chow as hard as he knew how. Mead shook himself out of his robe and approached the middle of the ring as Chow tested his gloves by punching his fist together. The two fighters met in the center of the ring, where a large red number one was emblazoned on the green canvas. The circle that they stood within in the center of the ring was one of five scattered throughout the fighter's cage. Each one, depending on whatever round it was, would alternate between zero gravity and a multiple of Earth-normal gravity. The second round circles alternated between projecting twice the normal amount of gravity and zero gravity. The third round would have three times the normal amount within the circles, and so on and so forth. By the fifth round, if a fighter found himself trapped within a 5G circle, the fight was generally over. Suddenly, the Coalition National Anthem began blasting out of the loudspeakers overhead. Meade glanced away from his opponent for the first time since he entered the ring and looked up into the VIP skybox. Above him, a large procession was filing into the seats reserved for the elite on Mars. Two of the spotlights that had been fixed on Meade and Chow quickly tracked up to the VIP box where he could see Coalition Ambassador Andromeda Corcoran, along with her chief of security, William Hugh, sitting down. She paused and waved to the people she represented below. The crowd dutifully cheered as the last bars of the national anthem trickled out of the stadium speakers. Meade was surprised to see the ambassador in attendance. He knew she was a fan of the Zero-G League, but he never imagined that she'd deigned to attend one of his matches. He looked back at Chow, who still hadn't taken his eyes off of him, and realized she wasn't there for him. She was there to watch Chow take him apart in the brutal fashion for which he had become so well-known. The referee approached Meade and Chow, checking their gloves for any foreign objects that might rub off into their opponent's eyes or otherwise injure him. You keep it clean, gents. I see enough blood. I don't give a good goddamn what you say. I'll stop this fight. You get it? The ref said in a gruff tone that left no doubt that he was a man of his word. "'Roger that, Cochise,' Mead said lightly, and offered his gloves out to his opponent. Chow slammed his gloves together as hard as he could. "'Back to your corners, and when the bell sounds, you're on, gents,' the ref said. Mead walked back to his corner, refusing to take his eyes off Kevin Chow, who didn't look away from Meade either. Emmeline appeared at his corner and hissed at him to get his attention. "'Are you sure?' Emmeline asked once he had crouched down to her eye level. "'A little late for me to get cold feet!' Besides, I'm fairly sure if I don't fight in here, the crowd will tear me to pieces. He motioned to the crowd, which was whipped up into a frenzy, looking for a good fight and as much blood as the fires were willing to spill. He pointed up to the VIP box. I even raided a visit from all those upper muckety-mucks, and they didn't come all the way down here just to watch me run away. Emmeline laughed derisively. <laughs> She's got other things to worry about. Better than me, he said, shrugging. The bell rang, and he put in his mouth for Time to go to work. Keep my seat warm. He gave a mock salute to Emmeline and moved cautiously to meet his opponent.